We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Is up, Substance. Make some noise wherever you're at. You made it to church, and again, if we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter, and of course, I'm super honored to share God's word with you today. I just, I don't know about you guys, but every time I come into the church, I, I'm not coming into a church service, I'm coming into a family, and I just, it warms my heart to see you guys. I, I, hope, you, I hope you realize that, just when I, and most of you, most of you. Uh, no, I, 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 seriously, it's really fun just to be able to do life with with you guys, and, and if you don't have a family, I wanna, I wanna adopt you into our family today. And, and once you get to know me, you know that I, I, get, to, I get to travel a lot uh, for my job. I get to speak at a lot of pastor's conferences. Part of that is because I, I help lead an organization called The Ark, the Association of Related Churches. It's a, it's a church planting organization that gives startup capital to church planters, churches like ours. And uh, of course, this weekend, I'm, I'm particularly pumped because we are planting our 1,000th church, 1,000th church. And of course, you know, like we, we, most of our churches start with about 300 people. And so we, we try to launch them large and uh, get them really uh, fruitful right out of the gate. But I, I've gotten to, I've, I've also had a, a, a lot of opportunity to help plant churches in, in various places, from Ireland to South Africa, uh, from the Middle East to the Far East. And, and I've gotten to see how a lot of different uh, cultures work and how they engage with church. And of course, you know, the more you travel, the more you start to see how different America is. And it's really hard to, to, to see the, the thought processes that are different, that are unique in the United States until you travel. Like, for example, did you know that Americans are more likely to live alone than any other nationality on planet Earth? Statistically, okay? You have to understand, like, in places like UK, it's very common for a 40-year-old to live with their parents. Here, we actually see it as, like, abnormality. We see it as, like, oh, you're an unadjusted human. You know what I'm saying? Like, you still live with your parents. It's, you're 40. Like, it, but over there, it's normal. Actually, in most places in the world, it's normal to have three generations in one household. Uh, uh, but here in the United States, we, we're, we're hyper-independent. We're more likely to live alone than any other nationality on Earth. And not only are we more likely to live alone, but we're also more likely to move away from our families than any other uh, people group in the world. We're, uh, from a, a Christian standpoint, we're more likely to switch churches than any other Christian on planet Earth. Um, we're, we're, we're also more likely to move more frequently than, than families would ever normally move. And then when we move, we're more likely to move further distances than any other, than any other person would normally move. And, and then even when we plant ourselves in a particular city, we generally will commute further to our jobs than any other human on planet Earth. And then we tend to work longer hours than most cultures do globally. And of course, I've got stats for each one of these things. We participate, and then even when we're at home, we participate in more social 
socially isolating entertainment experiences than any other nation on the planet, okay, in terms of we're binging on Netflix or on, you know, whatever it is that you're watching at home than any other nation. And maybe you're out there and you're like, well, yeah, but Pastor Peter, who cares? Who cares if we're isolated? What difference does it make? Maybe you're an introvert like me and you're kind of like, I kind of like being alone. You know what I'm saying? People are stupid. You know, listen, uh, guess what? Okay, that's, that's fine. It's okay to be introverted, but it's not okay to be isolated. And here's why. Your life expectancy will drop through the floor when you're socially isolated. And I'm gonna show that in a second. From a scientific research standpoint, your statistical odds of happiness will drop through the floor as well. It'll, your, your odds of just being happy are, are, are slim and none without a good, solid support group. Your odds of divorce skyrockets when you don't have supportive relationships outside of your spouse, when you, based on how many confidants you have. Get this, crime rates and violence tend to increase primarily in direct proportion to a society's isolation. Did you know that? It's actually quite, it's actually quite staggering when you see how, just even if you measure a culture's quantity of TV will actually increase homicide rate. Did you know that? There's a direct connection between how much TV we watch. And it's not the violence we see on TV. It's the fact that we're socially isolating and we're not negotiating anymore. We don't learn how to win-win anymore. It's just, you know what I'm saying? We, we don't even know how to talk to each other anymore. And I, I, I just, you know, everybody's asking why there's an epidemic of, of murder rates right now, divorce rates, mental disorders. And yeah, we can talk about the political reasons, but actually there's a greater epidemic that's actually afflicting us, and it's a lack of community, a lack of intimacy, a lack of ability to even negotiate with one another. And I, I think this is important because especially we as a church, we're actually called to model this. We're called to model this. Let me, let me prove it to you. For example, Jesus says, John 13, verses 34 and 35, He's trying to explain to them, this is what makes us different. This is how, if you wanna know how to reveal the Father's heart to the world, this is how you do it. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everybody say this. This loving community, this command, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? You love one Another, okay, so now notice what it doesn't say. It does not say, by your great church services, all men will know that you are my disciples, okay? I'm just pointing this out because I, I wanna kinda hit some myths that a lot of people have, okay? A lot of people would like to substitute that. That's how they kind of think about Christianity, by your great church services, all men will know. It does not say, by having perfect theology, all men will know that you are my disciples. By having great arguments about life, all men will know that you are my disciples. It doesn't say that. Jesus says very clearly, the revelatory attribute of God is loving community, loving community. And so whenever I meet Christians who are like debating about church services and worship formats and things related to these types of things, I always remind them, oh, 
Uh, loved one, you're missing the entire foundation of Christianity. Like, you've gotten caught, you've gotten trapped in, in philosophical debates that have nothing to do with what Jesus actually said. It's loving community that reveals that we are Christ's disciples. It's not about church services, not that they don't matter, because they do matter, uh, but it's about the conversations before and after, right? It's not about our live stream, it's about the connect groups where you discuss the sermon. I, I just, and if I could just say this to everybody here, and it's very important, that you understand this or you're gonna miss out on a lot that God has for you. Isolated encounters with the Bible does not make us Christ's disciples, okay? Isolated encounters with scripture does not, that's not what actually makes us a disciple of Christ. It's loving community, it's small groups, it's authenticity, it's prayer, it's confession of sin. And I, I'm sharing these things because I really believe that God wants us as Christians to help really our culture revisit the foundations of what biblical Christianity is. I think God, even right now, when people ask me what is God doing uh, nationally, globally, I think God is trying to shake up his church. You know, people will ask me about, you know, like right now, like across the United States, one third of all Christians have stopped going to church since COVID. And, and I don't think, you know, a lot of people talk about it as if it's a bad thing. And, and yeah, it is sad because a lot of people are going to be missing out on a lot of Bible. But I actually think God is trying to, to shake his church and help us go back to the foundations again. I think God loves us too much to allow us to embrace isolated forms of Christianity. And there's a precedent for this in scripture. God loves us too much to allow us to have bad theology, or as we say, ecclesiology, a bad approach to God's church. You see, back when the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, uh, he was having one of the worst years of his life. And he, he even said in this passage that he was despairing of life itself, okay? So he's feeling suicidal thoughts, okay? But in 2 Corinthians 1.9, he says something very profound here. And I, I, wanna, I wanna show this to you. He says, indeed in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Okay, so he's, he's, he's feeling like, ah, life, I hate life. But check out the, the logic here. He says, this happened, why? Why did this happen? Why did he feel the heaviness of life, the sentence of death? This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on who? On God who raises the dead, okay? So basically, he's saying God was drawing me to himself, okay? That, that we can sit there and say, oh, why do bad things happen to good people? And we can say, oh, maybe I wasn't praying enough. Maybe I'm not a good person. Maybe I'm not this. Maybe. And, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. This happened because God was actually drawing me into real faith, that, this, that I might not rely on myself. I think we all tend to rely on ourselves, and especially right here in the United States, we are the most independent culture on planet Earth. We rely on ourselves, right? And, and it's, you can see it in, in just when you compare cultures, we are a self-reliant culture, and, and understandably so. You think about our history and, and all these things, it makes sense. But I think God wants to draw us to himself. Okay, so now let's just stick with this thought, and I, I think this is profound because I, I think there's a lot of us here today, who, you've been trusting God for a breakthrough, but it isn't happening, and you're starting to go crazy with your thought life, and I think we've all had moments like that where we feel out of control, and if, and if you're there today, listen, it's okay to feel that way. That's why we serve a God who controls it all. 
You don't have to control it all. God, the Bible says God grants sleep to those he loves. Think about that. Uh, you see, and, and I, I, I'm sharing this because check out how, how Paul gets out of his funk here, okay? He says, on God we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as, get this, as what? You help us by your prayers. On God we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then, check out what happens, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to what? The prayers of many. Just, just say that with me, okay? Everybody read together. The gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. Okay, how does gracious favor come into our lives? Let's just ask that. It comes in answer to what? The prayers of many. So it's not just prayers that bring about gracious favor in our lives. I don't know about you, but what would gracious favor look like in your finances, in your marriage, in your parenting? Gracious favor comes in answer to what? Prayers, and not only prayers, the prayers of who? Many, okay? And I, I'm sharing this because biblically it's so important you understand this. Isolation is one of the great barriers to the miraculous. Having isolated experiences with God's word is not gonna deliver a gracious favor in your life to the level that God wants, it, wants you to experience. Or to put it another way, and this is really critical, you can write this down, Victory often grows in proportion to our vulnerability. Victory often grows in proportion to our vulnerability. We gotta get honest with people, get people praying for us. That's where gracious favor comes. For some of us, the delay of our miracle isn't just so that God would reveal himself to us, but it's so that God can draw us to his church, the people of God, the word of God and the people of God that can carry us through. And I, I say this because I, I wonder how many of us are just one prayer partner away from a breakthrough. What if that was your deal today? What if you were just one prayer partner away from a breakthrough and God was drawing you closer to himself but also God was drawing us closer to his church? What if that was it today? You see, I believe this is true not only spiritually that gracious favor comes from community, but I, I believe that even physical health comes from community, okay? Check this out. Here's some stats that'll kind of shift the way you think about physical health, okay? Did you know that our odds of surviving heart disease doubles based on the quantity of intimate friends you have? I've got not only one major university study, but several that show one of the greatest things you could do to fight heart disease is actually get better supportive friends. And, and it, it's actually shocking how, how, how thorough this is. You know, throughout the pandemic, we've been obsessing over how isolation is, you know, is, is our best means of protection. Well, there's actually, there's actually a lot of ways to boost your immune system. And, and yeah, isolation does help because, you know, from a viral standpoint, but uh, you know, there's also a lot of research that seems somewhat paradoxical, and I wanna show some of it to you because I, I think it'll kind of give you both sides of the continuum here. Okay, our immune systems, believe it or not, are actually, they don't turn on until you have physical social interaction. Did you know that? There's a lot of evidence proving that, okay? So let 
let me show you this. Research in intensive care units has shown that the comforting presence of another another person not only lowers patients' blood pressure, but also slows the secretion of fatty acids that block arteries and causes heart attacks. The mere presence of a person, like putting their hand on your arm, can actually decrease Heart attacks, okay? Now, now, just it gets even more interesting. Your odds of surviving breast cancer and leukemia doubles based on the quantity of intimate friends. If somebody invented a drug that could double the odds of surviving cancer, you'd think they'd be shouting that from the rooftops. But when all of a sudden you find out, oh, it's just how many friends you have that are actually supporting you, I don't know. It just doesn't seem as, like, cool. You know what I'm saying? I want to pop a pill. You know what I'm saying? But, but to say it's this, that actually means I have to like, mm, people, you know what I'm saying, okay? But, but think about that. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty stunning, right? Let me, let me take it even a step deeper. A lack of social relationships jeopardizes coronary, coronary health to a degree that rivals cigarette smoking, high blood pressure, blood lipids, obesity, and a lack of physical activity. And so some of you are like saying, so... Does that mean I can be an obese smoker as long as I have a lot of friends? Probably not, okay? But I'm just saying, get this, that your relationships actually affect your health and your life expectancy as much as these things. That's pretty crazy when you think about it, okay? Social isolates, people that don't have a lot of friends, are two to three times more likely to die prematurely than those who have strong social ties. And and again, I've got major university studies to prove every one of these statements. These are actually quotations from these, from Journal of American, uh, uh, the Association of, 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 from JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. Socially isolated people are four times more susceptible to the common cold than those who have active social networks. What? Okay, okay, think about this. Like, I thought it was friends who gave me viruses, which is true, they do. But did you know that the presence of your friends actually boosts your immune system? That when you are socially isolated, your stress hormone is significantly higher and then disables your immune system. So the brief interactions you do have with people, you'll catch more. Think about that. Okay, I I just, you know, I'm pointing this out now. Now, obviously, I, I'm, I'm not sharing all of this to, to start some debate about COVID policies. Actually, my point is the exact opposite. I'm, I'm simply trying to share the, the, the full spectrum, a biblical truth, and it's this. You and I were meant to live in community with one another, okay? We're not like computers where you just sever it from the internet and you won't get any viruses. We're mammals, okay? We are actually birthed in families, not in eggs. That Our physiology is dependent upon connecting with other people. And not only will connection and community help our bodies, it will help our breakthroughs. Gracious favor, but it's the very thing that reveals Christ to the world. And I, I'm saying this because I, I just... I I just, this is kind of a heavy word on my heart because I'm sharing this with you, church, because I think that there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians, who are actually way more isolated and way more independent than God wants us to be. And I, I, I'm sharing this because also as we, as we launch our new small group semester coming up in the coming week at our church, I really, really want you to pray about joining them and pray about dragging one of your friends 
to one of these small groups. This is not even just about you. This is about you getting your friends the type of, of, of community that they actually need in order to experience the gracious favor that God has for them. Because some of us, that little change in our lifestyle is gonna be the very difference between breakthrough and breakdown. And trust me, you do not wanna be looking for friends after your breakdown because that's gonna be the moment when you're least likely to wanna pursue it. And frankly, I would be a terrible pastor to you if I allowed you to just continue to have isolated church experiences, just attending of a church service, a viewer of a live stream, a, a, a person who independently engages God's word but doesn't have people to actually wrestle it out with. You see, I think at some point we've gotta have that type of fellowship to really be able to go places with, with the scripture. Otherwise, I, the blood of Christ that heals, we sing songs about it, but it, where does it flow? It flows through the body of Christ. And who's the body? We are. It's the people who are connected to one another and thereby connected to Christ. And I, I just, as kind of an, one last example of this, I, I think I, I love... I love looking at different turning points in church history uh, to just kind of ask ourselves, what can we learn from, from the historic church about even the times in which we live? You know, one of my favorite people in church history is a, is a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. He was one of the famous pioneer missionaries in, in the early 1800s, and his story is pretty amazing. Um, he, Adoniram was actually a, a diehard atheist before, and this is way back before it was like fashionable, if I could say that word. You know, he was intelligent, he was artistic, but he didn't want anything to do with Christianity. And of course, he, he had a pretty radical conversion story uh, that, to Christianity, and, 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 but that's not even what he's famous for, okay? And, and I don't even want to get lost in his conversion story here because it, it's really what happened after he gave his life to, to full-time ministry. He became a pastor, and then he got a, a really prestigious pastorate in a huge church in Boston. And in those days, Boston was the Bible Belt, okay? The Northeast was the Bible Belt back in those days. But in Adoniram, he has this really awesome, big, cushy church. I mean, the type of church that most pastors would, you know, they would, would see as an end destination. But he had already made the decision in his heart hey, I don't want an easy Christian life. I wanna, I wanna use the moments that I have on planet Earth to, to just really sacrifice for, for the kingdom of heaven. I, I wanna go out, I, I wanna go out with, with, with skin in the game. You know what I'm saying? I wanna sacrifice as much as I can. And so, you know, he, he was like, God, what is the toughest imaginable mission you could possibly have on planet Earth? I want that. I want you to call me to the toughest place. I wanna be in the most uncomfortable place I could possibly uh, go to share your word, not here, and, and that's exactly what he did. He moved to the other side of the world, okay? So get this, and, and keep in mind, being a missionary in those days was not popular, nor was it safe, and uh, he literally sailed across the world um, to India, and then after India, he moved to Burma, which is between China and India. And of course, he was actually one of the first missionaries to adapt Christianity to the Asian Buddhist culture. That's really what he's famous for, is that he figured out how to, he, he learned all about Asian Buddhism in Burma, and then he figured out how do I help them experience a form of Christianity that feels compatible with maybe their, their, their history. And he was really one of the first Westerners ever to master the Burmese language, and he translated 
translated the Bible there. That was one of his goals, was to translate the Bible. And of course, things were not easy for him. I mean, he spent seven years on the verge of starvation. And of course, you know, you're, you're on the other side of the world, you're a foreigner, and a lot of, you know, there was a lot of, uh, uh, de- it was destabilized country, and he got accused of, uh, falsely accused of being a spy, and he was thrown in prison for over two years uh, because of this false accusation. And keep in mind, these are not modern prisons, okay? This was, no, what, the prison that he was sentenced to was known as the death prison. I'm talking about, he was literally shackled to the wall for over two years, okay? With, with shackles around his wrists and around his ankles for at least 21 months, he was shackled to a wall. And of course, after, I mean, to the degree where after, even after he was released, his skin was horribly disfigured for the rest of his life. Everywhere he went, people would see his wrists and his, his legs, and they'd be like, what in the world happened to you? And he was like, yeah, I was chained to a wall for two years. And so while he was chained to this wall, um, he, he, right before he got put in prison, he, uh, his wife was pregnant, and his wife gave birth to their daughter Maria, and of course not long after he was released, this cute little girl, he finally gets to see his daughter and she ended up dying. She ended up tragically passing away. And then get this, not long after that, his wife ended up tragically passing away, and as if that wasn't enough, almost immediately he got a letter from the United States saying that his father died. I mean, talk about a year from hell. He finally gets released from prison and then three of the most important people to him ended up dying that year, and, and I, I just, I, I, I couldn't even imagine that. that. There had to have been a point where he's kind of like, God, I mean, where are you in this? Like, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? And I, I mean, just a year from hell, why is this happening to me? And, and church, I, I know that all of us have bad weeks, all of us have bad years, but I, I just, I can't even imagine something like this. And then, and then on top of that, he's in a foreign place where a lot of the people hate you and don't want you there anyway. You sacrificed everything, not just wealth and comfort, but you literally carry around the scars of 21 months of unjust torture. Well, not surprisingly, Adoniram went into a very deep depression. He was, he was actually quite suicidal. He was suicidal to the point where he, he, he gave all of his stuff away and uh, he made the decision that he's gonna do it. He's, he's gonna take his own life, and so he went to the edge of the jungle, and he dug his own grave there, and he thought, I'm just gonna make it really easy. I'm gonna lay down in my own grave and do it. And, and of course, every single day, he would go out to, to actually commit suicide, and he would sit in his own grave, and he just couldn't get himself to do it. You know, and then he'd go home, and he'd be like, oh, I'll just give it one more day, and then he'd go back the next day, and he'd go and lay in his grave that he dug, and, and he would think about taking his own life, and, and, and finally, one day, he's laying in, in the grave, and uh, he just kind of had this moment with, with the Lord, and he was like, what am I doing, God? What am I doing here? Deep in his heart, I think he knew, he knew that God had more for him, that, this, that the feelings that he was feeling are not t- permanent, they're temporary, and yet, you know, how many of you know sometimes it's just hard to convert head knowledge into heart knowledge, you know what I mean? You know God is good, you know God loves you, you know God has gracious favor for you, but for some weird reason, it's just not, it's not getting here, it's not, it's not affecting you, and in church, let me tell you something, that's when you know you need more Christian friends in your life. 
You need Christian friends who can speak truth to you, who can encourage you, and if you don't have fellowship in those moments, I'm just telling you, you're not going to think straight. That's why people who consistently attend church have significantly lower rates of depression by, over, by 26%. It's because you you've got more encouragers. That's really what the church is all about. And, 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 and listen, the, especially in those low moments church, those moments when you want to have fellowship the least are also the moments when you need fellowship the most. Let me repeat that. The moments when you want to fellowship the least are also the moments when you need fellowship the most. And actually, a lot of the people that are kind of in a funk, they, they don't even, they, they need you to drag them to places, come on. In moments like that, I just needed friends to kind of force them their way over to my house. I'm gonna throw a party at your house, Peter, whether you like it or not. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you need friends like that. You need moments where, where you just, and so especially those of you who imagine yourselves to be disciplers, one of the greatest things you can do is just, just have a dogged determination about inviting people to things. Don't ever take rejection from your invitations. And, and so like, I, 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 like, for example, let me just be honest with you. As an introvert, I think about all the years I've attended small groups. I never feel like going to my small group before my small group. Can I just be honest with you? I never feel, but then every time I go, I walk away kind of with a big smile thinking that was fun. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like I get the rush from, from I needed the relationships even more than I, I thought I did. And of course, coming back to Adoniram, he finally decided to get up out of his his self-dug grave, and he's like, you know what, I just, I need more fellowship. My fellowship is not good enough to sustain the weight of God's plan for my life. I need to commit to a higher level of community, even though I feel like doing the exact opposite. And guess what, though? When he started fellowshipping, uh, he started getting together with other Christians on the other side of the world, other missionaries. That's when his turnaround started to happen. There was this Baptist Missionary Fellowship on the other side of the world that he belonged to. In fact, he actually was one of the, the, the guys that a lot of people would look to, and yet even though he's in a funk, and, and so he at one of these small groups of this missionary fellowship, he ended up meeting this dynamic Christian woman by the name of Sarah Boardman, who is in the exact same position as he was. She was married to a famous, famous missionary to Burma, who also, whose spouse tragically died. And so they're both a widow and a widower, you know, missionaries to Burma on the other side of the world. How's that for a perfect match? Come on, you single people. God's got somebody for you. I'm just letting you know. I just thrown that in there, okay? Uh, but, but they ended up getting married. And, uh, and, and not only did their, their personal lives take off, but professionally things started exploding for Adoniram too. After 23 years, he finished translating the world's first Burmese Bible. And by the time of his death, he launched over 63 churches, recruited over 123 missionaries to Burma. And many estimate that over 30 to 50,000 Burmese people accepted Christ because of his ministry. In fact, he started numerous missionary societies, got over 2,700 new missionaries on the mission field, okay? So he got 123 to move to Burma itself, but overall 2,700 missionaries to get on the, the mission field. I mean, come on, how's that for a happy ending? He did it, you know what I mean? He did it, and I, I just, I, I share that because 
maybe you're here today and you just feel kind of beat up or you're just lacking a sense of purpose or maybe you know your your fuel has kind of been leaking out of your car so to speak your 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 soul and you feel like Adoniram when he sat in his own grave listen to me church there comes a point in every person's life where you just have to make a decision and it's a lot like the apostle Paul in your heart you feel the sentence of death but you know what you're gonna continue to give yourself to fellowship, continue to ask for prayer, why? Because gracious favor is granted in answer to the prayers of many. But we have to choose that. Victory comes through vulnerability. We've gotta choose to continue to place ourselves in loving community and for some of us, the, the, the next step is actually quite simple, okay? If you're watching the live stream, I just, I wanna welcome you to come back to in-person church. It's time, okay? And, and, and for others, okay, maybe you have, but you still don't have fellowship that is adequate to the things going on in your life. Then I would even say, just keep it simple by coming to church early. Just come 15 minutes early, stay 15 minutes late. Just hang out in the foyer a little bit more, even though it may be uncomfortable for you. I, I really believe that God is going to uh, just have a series of divine appointments for you that are gonna lead to great joy, to gracious favor. And for others of you, it's time to join a small group, okay? And, and, and maybe for you, you're like, yeah, but I visited a couple. Well, again, visit 12 before, you know, sometimes it takes 12 groups before you find your tribe or, or, or for others, just start with a connect group. They're a simple way to, to they're every other week. They're very simple or our alpha groups starting where you don't even have to know a whole lot of people. That's why we have a meal at them is so that you can get to know other people. But, but one thing is for sure, get this church, victory grows in proportion to vulnerability. I want you to experience that, I want you to internalize that, and I want you to take little baby steps towards that vulnerability. And I, I just, wherever you're at, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Just let God speak to you, okay? And I, I really believe that God is gonna be nudging you to, to make some changes, and maybe you're here and you're like, you have so many friends, you don't even know what to do with them, right? But I, I really do believe that God is gonna be putting people on your heart that you're supposed to temporarily adopt until you can help them get adopted. And so just let God speak to you right now. Just who, who just what, what is God speaking to you? Maybe it's to be the friend, maybe it's to get more friends. God, we just acknowledge that your plan for us is not to be isolated, but it is to live in a family. And I pray that we would not participate in lifeless forms of Christianity that are devoid of gracious favor. I pray that we would get so planted in community that even when difficulty happens, even when crisis happens, that we would just be so overwhelmed by your gracious favor that we would be able to give thanks to you today. And I pray that that spirit of gratitude would rise out of this. Lord, even as we participate in community, Lord, that we'd even start to have a front row seat to other people's miracles and that those miracles would inspire us to run the race that you've called us to run. And God, if people are lacking that, I just pray that you would just open up doors of opportunity, divine friendships that would get us there. And I pray that you would do this right here, right now, in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, just between you and God, say, I need that. I need that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. 
If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.